about my time, by the way. That, that shouldn't be counted against me uh, because the mic is working. And so, uh, so there's actually a bet over uh, on how long I will be today. And so, so I've got to beat my critics uh, and not preach as long as they think that I'm going to. And so, um, but I tell you what, what I am excited about is the fact that it has been eight weeks and we had uh, eight weeks of just great preachers uh, who are members of this congregation who are able to share. And um, there's not many places where you can go and have been taken and they had bread. That's the sacraments. And you know that you've had church when fellowship has taken, uh, taken place and to fellowship. This has been a part of the church since its inception. What I love about it too, if you look down at the end of that chapter, what you'll discover is not only is this something that they did on that day, but they actually met every day to talk about the word of God, about the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread each and every day. Yeah, we, we, get, we get a little uncomfortable if we go past an hour and 15. Y'all get to checking your watches and times. They did this daily. It wasn't something that they went to. It was not an event that they were a part of, but church was something that they lived. It was their life. Not only did the early church devote themselves to it, but also Jesus himself demonstrated it. We see this, we see this uh, as Jesus emerges from his fast in the desert, and he shares with us out of the book of Isaiah 61, he shares what's kind of been known as his inaugural sermon. He reads this, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me, listen to what Jesus says, to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, that's preach, uh, freedom to the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim, again, that's preach, the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus says, listen, I've come for one purpose and one purpose, and that is to preach the good news to the people of God. Now, let me let you in on something. If you just listen to that scripture that Jesus read, that he himself proclaimed, and if you thought that Jesus was talking about anyone else besides the person seated in your seat, you heard it wrong. Jesus says, I've come not for those people who are poor or not for those people who are in prison, not for those people who are blind. He's talking about you because everybody in here in some form or fashion, yes, you may be free physically from prison, but there are a whole lot of us that are in prison spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. Jesus says, I have come to preach the gospel to you. But also, he says, man, listen, I've come also to proclaim the gospel to the poor. Now, you may have a couple of dimes in your bank account, but some of us are poor in spirit. Jesus says, for you, I've come to share the good news of the Lord's favor. Or even if it is about those who need to be freed from and the recovery of sight to the blind, Jesus said, I've come, I've come for all of you. You who sit in those seats, each and every one of us fit those descriptions. Jesus says, for you, for you, I've come. I've come to share, to give you the good news. So the question is, what is the good news and what's so good about it? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'd like to kind of share that with you today. What is the good news and what's so good about it? The fact that we are the poor, we are the blind, we are the prisoners. And that Jesus saw where we are and he came for us. 
that, that's, that's good news. I, I love it. Uh, Paul talks about it in Romans 5 and 8. He says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still in sin, Christ died for us. I, I get excited about that scripture, of course, because of the fact, the reality that Christ died for us. But there are two words there within that passage that really excite me. I love the fact that Christ died for us, but I'm really excited about the fact that while and still. I love the fact that while and still, while we were still in our sins, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get cleaned up. He didn't wait for us to put together our 30-day devotional plan to get ourselves back together. He didn't wait for any of those things. What Jesus did is this. He saw the state of humanity, and he saw that we were in desperate need of a Savior, and he came to us while we were still in our sins. I don't know about you because you may be better people than I am, but for me, Jamel Armstrong, that is good news. That's very good news for me. And so one of the greatest things that I love when I think about this story is this. We, we, we gather here for the word each and every Sunday to listen to it. And at the foundation of what we do, the reason why we do it, the foundation of it is what I've just got finished discussing. That Jesus came for us. That's the foundation of it. And if we're talking about anything else when we gather here, that's always got to be the truth of it. In fact, let me share this one little tidbit before I move forward. If you, if you are or aspire to be a preacher of the gospel, what I was taught is this. Never preach a word that would not be true had Jesus not died and rose from the grave. Never preach a gospel that would not be true if Jesus had not died and rose from the grave because it is the foundation of why we're here. Paul, Paul said it would be utter foolishness. The reason why we're here is centered around the reality that Jesus died and he rose from the grave. Therefore, we have life and we gather every week to say in some form or fashion, hey, just in case you forgot it about this week, just in case life got hard, just in case you listened to something that may have swayed you, just in case life got overwhelming, I want to remind you that for you, no matter where you are, you, the brokenhearted, the poor in spirit, the prisoners, all of you need to know that Jesus died for you. But not only did he die, he rose with all power from the grave so that you can have life and live life more abundantly. That's what we do each and every day. Each and every day. And to illustrate this, I actually have a focus scripture. I've quoted a few already. But I have a focus scripture, a story that I like to walk us through where Jesus himself actually illustrates for us the power of the word of God. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, it'll be available for you on the screens as well. And we are going to be reading verses 1 through 10. Great story. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. From the New International Version, here's what the Word of God says. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple verse 6 if you are the son of God he said throw yourself down for it is written he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone Jesus answered him 
it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Um, love this part passage of scripture and it may be familiar to some of you and I, I love kind of what's transpiring here if you don't know the background let me share with you what's happened is that Jesus has just completed his 40 day and night fast in the wilderness and when he reemerges, one of the first things that happens is that he is tempted by the devil uh, right there one of the things that I want to point out first off parenthetically is that I don't think that it is a coincidence that this is happening at this time Jesus has been baptized immediately after being baptized he goes to the wilderness to fast and to pray to connect with his father to gain spiritual strength when he is weakened in the flesh right after his conversion the first thing that happens is that he is tempted by the devil some of you may think that your story is abnormal that when you commit and when you try to do things right, when you try to get things together, you are then faced with temptation and you think that your story is unique to the rest of creation. But let me assure you, it is not unique. Each and every one of us has experienced the same thing. And if nothing else, Jesus himself experienced it when he decided to wholly and to fully live out the mission that God sent him for. The first thing the enemy does it comes to him and tries to tempt him so that ultimately he can be shown or he can be proven to not be who God called him to be, which is essentially what the enemy wants to do to us. He wants to discredit us. But I, I love this interaction. I love what's taking place within here. I, I, there, there are kind of three things that are happening, and Jesus demonstrates this for us. He's tempted three times. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. As Jesus is, is, is hungry physically, the tempter comes. Now, I want you to know in his conversation there, the devil says, if you are the son of God, please understand the enemy knows exactly who he is. He knows that he is the son of God because had he not been the son of God, he would not be there trying to tempt him and question whether or not he's the son of God. He is not questioning Jesus' divinity. What he is questioning is if Jesus will be able to withstand and will be able to be and live out what he was called to be. That's the same thing for us. I, I know the thoughts. I've been there. I'm human. I, I, I've been there when, when you've done things or maybe you've been a part of something. And one of the first things you begin to question is, am I, am I truly saved? Um, is, is God truly there for me? Is he ignoring me? Is, is, is he really active in my life? Is he really present? The enemy loves to play those games with us so that we begin to question as to whether or not we deserve the love of God. But I love this. Jesus, Jesus helps us and he, he shows us this in how we ought to respond to these things and how it should apply to not only him but to us as we are longing to be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. I, I thought about this story of this woman 
who uh, was excited one day. She's got two kids and a husband, and she went and she uh, adopted this pit bull. And she was at work, and they went to this uh, this adoption facility, this pit bull had, who had been starved and had been left for dead, and it touched her heart. So she said, you know what, I'm going to take this pit bull home, and I am going to treat it like it's my own. I'm going to love it back to good health, and our family will be good to it, and it will be good to our family. Well, as soon as she gets home, she takes the pit bull in the house, and immediately when her husband sees it, he begins to explain to her how irresponsible she is by bringing this angry pit bull in here who could be dangerous to her family and to her children. And she feels guilty, but they keep the dog, and after about a week, everything seems to be fine until one day she makes her way home, and as soon as she gets in, she sees her husband with a bandage around his arm. And she can see blood seeping through the bandage, and her heart drops, and she asks, what happens? And the husband says, what happened is exactly what I said that would happen. The dog attacked me. I told you that this dog would be dangerous. And so she knew in her heart that if the dog would attack the husband, it would attack any of them. So she said, I've, I've got to send them back. And so she goes to the phone. She picks it up, and her daughter comes, and she says, Mommy, 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 please don't send the dog away. The mom says, well, well you know, the, the dog's dangerous, honey. we got to send him back. She says, well... If daddy promises to not kick the dog anymore, I'm sure the dog won't bite him again. So what happened is this. She discovers that each and every day when the husband comes home or whenever he was in the presence of the dog, he would kick the dog until the dog couldn't take no more. And the dog lashed out in anger, ultimately becoming whom the dad said the dog was going to be. But it wasn't that that was who the dog was. The dog simply responded to the behavior of the husband. The same thing applies to us and the enemy. There are some things within our hearts, some things that we are fighting against. We don't want to be the people that we used to be. But what the enemy does is he pokes and prods us and tries to tempt us so that ultimately he can look at us and say, See, I told you you're not changed. I told you you're not who the Lord said that you are. I told you you go back to your old ways. And so what we've got to do is we've got to be strengthened by not our emotions. We can't be strengthened by other people's conversations. We've got to be strengthened by the word of God. It is the only thing that can help to us. The word of God and the Holy Spirit within us can keep us so that we don't become that, that pit bull. And I don't know about you. I got a little pit bull in me. Got, got a little pit bull within me. And so... The tempter comes, and I love this. The Bible is very specific about words if you don't know it. And so when, when, when Matthew here uses the word devil, that word is actually translated as the accuser because he wants to accuse you of anything that he can find fault in. So the accuser, the accuser finds Jesus weakened in the wilderness. And can you imagine? Now here, we know that Jesus is, is you know, he's amazing, right? He's 100% man and he's 100% God. But I want you to know, after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting in the wilderness, trust me, his 100% of humanity was very hungry. And so the tempter approaches Jesus as he's hungry in the wilderness. And he says, listen, um, you're the son of God. How about this? How about you take these stones and you turn them to bread? And I love Jesus' response. He pulls out from Deuteronomy chapter 8. I love the background of even that story where the nation of Israel, they were, they were complaining as they did about what's taking place. And the Lord had to explain to them, that, listen, listen, uh, God has given you and fed you that which you don't understand so that you'll understand that it is not the manna, it is not the quail, it's not even water from the rock that sustains you. You are sustained by every word that proceeds out the mouth of God. And so Jesus remembers that story 
story that as he is depleted in the wilderness, just like the people who were in the wilderness in Deuteronomy, Jesus remembers. No, I remember the history, and there were a time when the people who come before me, I remember when they were hungry, and the Lord spoke to them and says, hey, man won't live by bread alone. But the enemy heard it. He didn't like that. And so he says, you know what, um, how about this? How about um, he took him to Jerusalem, to, to the top of Solomon's temple, and he says, how about this? Um, you, you quoted scripture to me. Let me quote scripture to you. Um, in Psalm 91, it says this. It says that, you know, if you fall, uh, that the angels will come so that your foot will not be struck against the stone. And Jesus says, well, yeah. I get that. I get that. I understand what you're saying. However, Scripture also says, because Scripture can never contradict itself, Scripture says, mm, yeah, thou shalt never put the Lord your God to the test. Anyway, he didn't like that, and so he goes on a little bit further. The third and final temptation, he does this. He takes him to this highest peak. We don't know where it is, and he takes him to the peak, and he says, listen, um, here are all the kingdoms of the world, in all of their glory and in all of their splendor. If you bow down to me, I'll give you each and every one of them. I, I, I'd love to spend some time on that, on just how, how that's, that's just a myth within itself because he don't know who he's talking to. But anyway, he, he's there and Jesus says, well, no, thou shalt not bow to no one else but the Lord your God. And he dismisses Satan. I think within those three stories, there are three quick things uh, that we can learn from. I want to share with you, and then we'll get out of there. The first thing is this that I want you to know is within the word of God is the word of God is our substance and our foundation. Check this out. During the first exchange, Satan tries to use the weakened state of Jesus to trip him up, which is not uncommon, right? Here's what I know about Satan to be true, and perhaps you're familiar with this. He knows the right time to tempt. Right, right, right. You ever fasted? Anybody ever fasted in here? Doesn't it seem like the best food commercials come on when you're fasting? You ever experienced that? I remember, here's the thing, in all transparency, I don't like Taco Bell. I just don't. Never, never have. In fact, until I was about 14, I thought Taco Bell was all Mexican food. Don't, I don't like Taco Bell, all right? Um, we fasted one time. And I saw a Taco Bell commercial, and I was one step from just pulling in the drive-thru and getting it. I haven't eaten Taco Bell in years, but that looked like the best food that heaven has ever created. And I was so tempted by it. The enemy knows exactly when to tempt you. When your flesh is weak, when your spirit is depleted, are the times that he's going to come and to tempt you. But not only does he know when, he knows how. He knows how. He knows how. He knows what tickles your fancy. Say, for instance, if you, if, you, if you battle or if you struggle with lust, trust me, he's not going to tempt you with food. No, he's going to bring that man or that woman that catches your eye, that you love how they walk, how they smell, how they look. They resemble everything good and pleasant to you. He's going to put that in front of you, but he's never going to put something in front of you that doesn't tempt you. He knows how and when to tempt you. Well, don't you be clear on this. Jesus is weakened, and he is struggling, and he's sitting there listening to it. And what Jesus does, rather than drawing on his own strength, which he was weakened at that point, he draws energy and strength from the one thing that he knows that is substantive and is the foundation of his entire existence, the word of God. He pulls from it. He draws from a story that gets him strength because if God did it for the Hebrews in Deuteronomy, what Jesus ultimately understands that he'll do it for me. Now, I also want to be clear about one thing. 
The word of God isn't great because they're just cleverly put together words. I mean, we live in a day and a time where you can click on social media and you can find a whole lot of pop psychology that could, you know, sound pretty good to you. It's not about the words itself. In fact, if you have a Bible, whether or not you know it, the book that you're holding, that book is not holy. It has holy on it. It even has holy in it. But the book itself is honestly worthless. The book itself. The words on those pages, they're just words on the pages. It's not about the book. It's not about the pages. It's not about the words on the pages. It's about who spoke the words. And the word of God is only powerful because of who is speaking. It's not about the book itself. If you think and you're one of those people who refuse to underline or highlight in your Bible, it's just a book. Don't, don't worry about any of that. But if you look at the word of God according to speaking the word of God, who's speaking those words, well, that's when it gets power. It gets power because you recognize the one who is speaking to me according to these scriptures is the one when he wanted creation, he simply opened his mouth and said, let there be. And since he has the power to do that with his words, when it comes to my life, all I know is this. I have to listen to what he says, and when he wants to change my situation, all he has to do is say, let there be. We're not committing to words for the sake of just having words to debate and to argue about. What we're committing to is the one who spoke the words, believing that the one who spoke the words is the one who can change my life and make things greater for me. So when Satan comes to Jesus and he's speaking to Jesus, Jesus simply draws strength from the one whom he knows will be able to hold him and keep him no matter the struggle that he is experiencing and he speaks to the devil and he says to the devil simply this man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God exclaiming to the devil it doesn't matter what you put before me I know the God who kept me for the last 40 days and 40 nights will sustain me so that I can move forward I love that. Number two, the second thing is this not only is the word our substance and our foundation the Lord is also our surety it's our surety. The second temptation is this. He grabs Jesus. They go to Jerusalem, to the holy city, and they go to the top of the temple. And while on top of the temple, the devil, since Jesus quoted scripture to him, has the audacity to try to combat Jesus with scripture. And he says to Jesus this. He says, um, okay, I, I, I see where you're coming from. Well, listen, just throw yourself down and, you know, the angels, the angels will catch you. They'll make sure that you don't hurt yourself. Now, I want you to know this. This temptation was not about whether or not Jesus believed the angels would come to catch him. This temptation was to see if Jesus was prideful enough that he would throw himself down in front. They're at the temple. Remember, I said earlier, at the temple, the people gathered every day. Every day. They're at the temple. Jesus says, the enemy says, throw yourself down so that all the people will see you. And all the people will see the angels come to care for you. And what he was trying to do is to try to show that Jesus was full of himself and full of pride enough that he would show just how great and magnificent he was in front of all the people. But Jesus was sure of one thing. His assurance in who he was wasn't based upon how humanity looks at him. Who Jesus was wasn't about whether or not people would approve the reason why he's here or about angels coming to his care. In fact, we know that by the whole crucifixion story, right? 
When Jesus himself could have called legions of angels to care for him, but he chose to say not a mumbling word. We know that he could have done any of those things, but he had a plan. He was sure in himself. He was sure in the God who called him. Therefore, he refused. He refused to bow down to what the enemy had for him. Then the third and last thing is this. Third temptation, which tells us that the word of God is our sight. Once more, the enemy takes Jesus, and he, this time he takes him to this, this high mountain peak. Now, I want you to understand that there's no name given to this place. But there's this, this high, high peak that he takes Jesus to, and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and he promises him this. If you bow down to me, I'll give you all of this. Sight question for you. It's really hard. Um, what mountaintop in the world can you go to and see all the kingdoms of the world? It's not one. It doesn't exist. There's no place in the world, the highest mountain peak in the world, you can go there, but you can't see all the kingdoms of the world. That place doesn't exist. This, this whole promise that the enemy is trying to tempt Jesus with is a lie even within itself. It's not even about the fact that Jesus already has the entire world. He, he is already in a route to be able to have power over all things. This isn't even about that. It's about the lie which the enemy has constructed in order to get Jesus to bow down. He shows him this mystical place that doesn't exist. He says, if you go to this mountain peak, I'll show you all of these things. Listen, you can see it all, and I'll give you all of these promises us that if we give in to certain things that we'll find joy, if we give in to certain things that we'll find peace and health and strength and those things, and all the while we're bowing down to things, and it is eating away at our souls and at our flesh. And Jesus shows us that well, when you have the word of God in your heart, it gives you sight. And I can see where the enemy is trying to trick and to deceive me so that I'm not able to be who he called me to be. And so we, we commit ourselves to his word in our hearts so that we won't be deceived. We'll know when the enemy has a trick. We'll know when he's coming to us with a false plan. We'll understand these things when the word is within our heart. Well, I, I talk to people all the time, and I know that the word can be difficult. You, some of us think that, you know, listen, I just, that means that I've got to recite, you know, 50 billion scriptures and I've got to learn it. Or maybe you sit down and you read your Bible and you don't understand what you're reading and you question as whether or not it's actually going in. I just want to encourage you to not worry about any of that. Our, our responsibility is to not to be able to quote the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation so that we know it, so that we can recite it in every debate, every argument, things come up. It's not about that. It's about the principles and the values that God is teaching us that he wants us to live by. And that if you just simply trust the fact of who gave you the words, I promise you that he'll ensure that the word will live and be for you exactly what he intended for it to be. Uh, let, me, let me say it like this. Um, uh, uh, of, of the pair, uh, Matt and I, uh, he's a smart one. I, I'm not all that smart. I'm, I'm not the smart guy. I, I'll, I'll admit that. He's a smart one. I'm the loud one. That's, that's, our, that's our relationship. All right. 
So when, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, uh, I was an athlete, and so I always got injured. I was also a very wild child, and so I went outside, and I played, and I've got more scratches and sores and scars than you could ever imagine. It just was my reality, and so I, I remember one day uh, I went out, and, and I injured myself, bumped my knee and bruised it real bad, and I went in and I asked my mom, uh, you know, I told her about it, and so she took care of me, and she gave me uh, some aspirin, and, um, and I'm taking the aspirin, and then it occurs to me that... Um, the last time my head hurt, she gave me aspirin, and um, when I had other pains, she gave me aspirin, and it's coming from the same bottle. So what occurred to my little mind is, how does the aspirin know where to go? Because when my knee hurt, I got the same aspirin, my head, my arm, no matter where the pain was, the same bottle of aspirin was given to me each and every time. And so I finally asked. Well, when my knee hurt, you gave me this, when my head, and, and all those things, how, how, how does the aspirin work? And our response was this, our responsibility is to take the aspirin, it's its responsibility to find the pain. And in our lives, it is our responsibility to commit our hearts to the word of God, and the word of God does the work, and it's empowered not by us, but by the Holy Spirit. And it's not for us to, to debate, to fight, to talk about other petty things. No, it's about so that we can be salt and light within this world. So what happens is we take it and it heals the pain inside of our own bodies. And then out of that it flows out so that we can make sure that we're salt and light for other people. But it's not about the fact of just knowing these things for the sake of knowing it. Because within the story that we just got finished going through, what you saw was that the enemy knew scripture. He quoted it verbatim to Jesus. And Jesus was able to tell him, here's what. God is really talking about. So it's not about that. It's not about just knowing it, but it's about the word of God living and moving and being active within your body. So why do we gather every week? That's the question of the day. Well, Matt and I are not doctors or any of the eight preachers that you heard before uh, this series started. None of us are doctors. I would say we're probably more akin to pharmacists. And what our responsibility is this, is that, that Jesus demonstrated it. The early church was devoted to it. And the doctor, the great physician in heaven, he tells us then the word. Our responsibility as the pharmacist is to get up before you each and every week and to give you the prescriptions in which Jesus gave to us to share. And here's the thing. It's not about what we think. It's not about what we believe to be true. It has to be simply be rooted within the word of God. And the best thing that I can give you, the best thing that we can give you is not our thoughts, it's not our limited foresight. The best thing that we have to offer is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Because it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter what you're doing, it doesn't matter what you're experiencing. The most pure thing that we have to offer is nothing but the gospel. And I don't know about you, I believe in the gospel so much that I don't have to argue about people's ways of life. I don't have to argue about how the world is going. I don't have to have debates about how we're supposed to love people or not. I just simply believe if we allow the gospel to do exactly what it said it should be doing, it doesn't matter about our mission here at One Church. We simply just got to be committed to it individually, and we can change old Louisville, the city of Louisville, the University of Louisville, the state of Kentucky, and the entire world. If we commit ourselves to the word, to living it 
and allowing it to be active within our hearts, within our minds. That's all I got. Amen. I don't know my time. <laughs>